Straight Talk Live, exploring human, digital, and social transformations. Welcome to Straight Talk Live. I'm one of your co-hosts, Rick Snyder. I'm the author of Decisive Intuition and the CEO of Invisible Edge. And this is our not-for-profit um, podcast that we actually launched pretty much a year ago. We're coming close to our year anniversary. And I love to remind the audience why we started this is that Af and I were not satisfied by the conversations that we were hearing when the whole COVID pandemic um, hit our awareness about a year ago and just look, looking at the media cycles and the things that we need to be talking about and how we need to be much more prepared in so many ways around uh, the digital transformation that's happening, the human transformation and the social impact. And so um, that's what had us create this show and since then, we've been having incredible guests, such as the one today, who will be introducing very shortly, Mark Stallman. Um, but just uh, looking back at our history, of our short history, and the amazing conversations we've been having to influence the influencers, hmm. to really impact the people out there, all of you, who to have those straight-talking conversations with those in your lives, whatever sectors that you can make your impact, whether it's um, environmental or social or digital, all the different ways that you might have your influence and how you can use it for good. Uh, without further ado, I want to also introduce my co-host, Af Maholtra. Af, take it away. Uh, thank you, Rick. Welcome, everyone. Another fantastic show and one that I'm again very excited about, of course. Uh, so as you know, I'm a co-creator of this uh, fantastic brand and, of course, the C uh, CEO, founder of, of Growth Enabler. And um, today is a special show for me because... Going, going a year back now, I was introduced to our guest today uh, by a dear friend and a mentor. And it all sort of happened by accident. And then a year down the line, you know, for me personally, has been a, a hugely transformational experience hanging out with our guest today and talking to him and his crew of people, uh, simply because I will tell you who he is, of course, Mark Stallman. And um, he is, he is um, a, a bit of a genius in many ways. Uh, I would say the smartest guy in the room for me, at least, and for many CEOs um, in Silicon Valley in the past. Um, he's one of those guys who started off in Wall Street and was a revered, recognized analyst. In fact, he IPO'd, helped to IPO AOL when no one really knew them. And he spotted Sun Microsystems before anyone else. Those are some of, some of his accolades, of course. And then um, his life has taken all sorts of interesting twists and turns that he'll talk to you about. And where he is today is very interesting because he's, um, he's, he created something called the Center for the Study of Digital Life that I'm, I'm delighted to be part of. But also we've, you know, we and I've been involved with him, but we're about to, and he is um, the CEO of an organization called Exogenous Inc., uh, that I'll, I'll leave it there because he's going to tell you about what, you know, the, th the thought process and ideology is around this organization. But I am thrilled, delighted to welcome Mark to the show. He is a super zero bullshit, provocative talker and intellectual. And I can't wait to hear uh, him unpack the three spheres, East, West and digital. Mark, the, the ball is in your court. Please yeah, thank yourself. you so much. Um, uh so generous of, of you and Rick uh, to invite me uh, to this forum. I'm very excited to, to be here today. And uh, this will actually be the first time that uh, Exogenous Inc, uh, or nicknamed EXO, has been presented in public. I know this is not a, a commercial 
webcast, and, and so I'm, I'm not going to be uh, trying to sell anybody here on our services, uh, but just describing what we're doing. Uh, but uh, it's very uh, nice, uh, in fact, uh, kind of you uh, to include me uh, in Straight Talk Live. Mm. Yeah, real, real pleasure, real pleasure, Mark. So um, let, let's go right into it. Uh, there, are, there is a lot about you as a person that uh, defines what you're going to tell us today. And I think unless we understand a little bit of that history, uh, it will almost it'd be gross injustice to, to appreciate what you're going to tell us today. Can you give us a bit of a color uh, or flavor of who you are and how you've got here? Uh, just the, the highlights would be amazing. Sure. Uh, well, you, um, you set it up correctly uh, uh, with one uh, maybe addition. Um, the fact is I started a software company and, and became a computer architect in the 1970s. Um, so uh, I was uh, one of the early uh, characters uh, before the PC revolution, actually. Um, I'm probably most associated in that time period with local area networks. And, and so it's probably hard to believe um, since we take Wi-Fi uh, and Ethernet for granted now, Mm -hmm. that there was a point in time when Bell Labs uh, came uh, to the IEEE Standards Group and said, you will never achieve uh, 10 megabits on um, uh, a wired uh, Ethernet. Cannot be done according to the physics. Um, now, of course, uh, we're getting hundreds of megabits uh, through the air and uh, uh, thousands uh, on wires. And uh, I was a part of that whole local area network revolution. Mm -hmm. I then got hired um, by a very interesting firm called Sanford Bernstein. Uh, they're now part of Alliance Capital. Uh, but Sanford Bernstein was well known in those days for deliberately not hiring MBAs. I don't have one. Uh, you do, uh, but I don't. <laughs> and uh, in fact, hiring people out of the industries which they were going to cover. Mm. And uh, this was a very unusual approach. It uh, typically expressed itself in a kind of a Wall Street report, which actually had a black cover on it. So they were called black books. And they were meant, unlike the rest of, of materials that come in over the transom, they're meant to actually be saved. So my first report on Wall Street was the local area network market. Mm -hmm. That was... Uh, published in 1986, um, long before many people uh, had, let alone had even heard of that technology. And uh, I was still getting phone calls 10 years later uh, for people asking about whether the numbers that I had produced, the firm that I worked for wanted me to produce a 30-year cash flow analysis on companies that had not yet turned a profit. Right. That was a rather uh, strange request, and it, it forced me through uh, a number of, um, of uh, very small apertures uh, in order to achieve that. Um, but I wound up uh, being relatively successful. And, and as you've noted, I then wound up moving to Alex Brown, where I started a banking group. And uh, that banking group uh, brought AOL and a number of other companies public. So in March of 1992, so we're, we're now uh, talking about uh, close to 30 years ago, 
I was the lead uh, banker and analyst on the AOL deal at Alex Brown. Fabulous. Wow. And you, you, um, uh, you also spotted Sun Microsystems. You were ahead of the curve there. Um, to, to, before we go into the East and the West and digital, uh, the three spheres that you talk about often, um, to talk us through um, what you're up to today, and we will discuss this later, but what, what are you doing now? Are you, where do you live? What are you up to? Where, where, where's your head at? So what you see behind me is uh, uh, the back of a uh, firehouse in Jersey City Heights. So okay. those of you who are familiar with uh, the New York uh, area, the uh, PATH train, uh, like the subways, uh, tends to define the, the actual boundaries of, uh, of New York City. And the PATH train comes out to Jersey City. It actually continues on. Uh, the last stop is in Newark. So there are these places in New Jersey that New Yorkers have been fleeing to, and I'm one of them. So I wound up uh, in uh, a version of what you might call the uh, Ghostbusters right. uh, <laughs> uh, firehouse. I've actually thought about uh, uh, photoshopping, uh, not probably actually going out and doing it with spray paint, but I thought about uh, photoshopping the, the front door of, uh, of this, which is high enough that I can put kayaks on the roof of my FJ cruiser wow. and drive them into the garage because nice. it was built for fire engines. Wow. Uh, I'll put a, uh, a, a big uh, sign of a robot uh, with a slash through the middle of it, um, <laughs> uh, much like the, uh, the Ghostbusters uh, when I get around to that. I have a question for you, Mark. As, as you look back at your career and even where you're at right now, one thing that's apparent to me is just how motivated you are in, in just seeing, you know, look at the different streams of your own river and how it's transformed over the years, where you're most well-known, obviously, when co computer programming and finance. And even before that, I know you studied theology. So you've had a, your hands in a lot of different areas also. What, how would you describe your spark, your motivation? Like, what has you keep moving forward in trying to anticipate what's happening and looking at better systems and tracking and anal analysis, what's really the spark that's keeping you even now starting new, new ventures and what have you? Um, Rick, that's a, uh, uh, that's a very personal question. Do you want me to get personal here? Straight talk live. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm, I'm happy to do that. Um, I've described this in public before. Um, as it turns out, uh, I am fulfilling the wish or uh, direction given to me my, by my father when I was 16 years old. Hmm. I'm now 73. So hmm. uh, it's taken me a very long time to sort out what he was asking me to do. Hmm. My father was a, a historian of ancient mathematics. Uh, hmm. He taught uh, in various places in Boston, uh, MIT, Harvard, Brandeis. And then he was part of a group of people brought to the University of Wisconsin in Madison to form what at that point uh, was thought to be the A-team in history of science. Uh, his mentor, uh, so App has uh, uh, correctly um, highlighted the fact that we all need to have mentors in this life. That's right. Um, it appears uh, that I've turned into one of them. Um, wasn't exactly <laughs> my plan, but... Uh, uh, I'm embracing that mm. uh, responsibility uh, mm. at this point. 
But my father's mentor was Norbert Wiener. Norbert Wiener was a Kansas-born secular uh, Jew who became one of the top handful of mathematicians in the world. Um, Wiener and my father, uh, for instance, uh, were drinking out of a large uh, flask of Chianti wine uh, one night in Cambridge, Massachusetts. I like them already. <laughs> yeah, going, going through the uh, uh, Greek mythology wow. to try to find a name mm-hmm. for this new science that they were inventing. Wow. It was that uh, evening in 1946 when cybernetics mm-hmm. uh, was mm-hmm. uh, first named based upon the uh, mythological figure Kybernetes, hmm. who is the helmsman. The helmsman, of course, has to deal with um, the waves, uh, the wind, uh, the rocks, uh, the harbor, uh, the crew, hmm. uh, mm-hmm. the cargo, uh, and uh, all of that uh, is a control uh, mechanism, which we would now call feedback. So my father was there at the, at the earliest days of feedback, and it turns out that Norbert Wiener uh, got himself in, in big trouble <clears throat> by um, being an outsider. So um, one of the uh, uh, terms we use for ourselves at the center uh, is outsider, probably best captured in the uh, famous phrase from The Wizard of Oz, when uh, Dorothy uh, turns to her uh, pet dog and says, no, Toto. I don't believe we're in Kansas anymore. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, right. Wiener had um, become a thorn in the side of many people. And uh, he was actually uh, canceled, if you will, long before there was mm-hmm. a cancel culture. Mm-hmm. Uh, my godfather, Norbert Wiener, was canceled. And as a result of that, he formed what he called the um, Genius Project. Mm. Um, my father was one of those that uh, Wiener included in that. And in 1964, when, uh, when Wiener died, uh, climbing the stairs in Stockholm to receive a prize from mm. the Queen of, of uh, Sweden. Um, by the way, uh, and just as a point of uh, advice here, uh, probably not a good idea to, to uh, uh, be overweight and climb a massive set of stairs to meet the Queen. <laughs> um, try to figure out another way to do that. Maybe just avoid Stockholm uh, altogether. <laughs> if you can like it. Uh, but the um, what he had uh, uh, been trying to do uh, is the assignment that my father gave me, and that was to try to understand the human use of human beings. That's another book written on the heels of the book published in 1948, The Year I'm Born, uh, called cybernetics. Mm-hmm. The human use of human beings is what got, got, got Wiener in so much trouble. Uh, it was the Cold War, and he was raising all sorts of questions about uh, the relationship between science and uh, war making. And uh, he was threatened, along with all of his colleagues, of being accused of being Soviet agents. Mm-hmm. We kind of forget those days. Right. And, mm-hmm. and how uh, precarious it was yeah. to say certain things in public or be associated with certain people. Mm-hmm. Our hope is that we are going to get away with what we're doing today. So I think I'm finally in a position to try to get away with what Norbert Wiener, uh, unfortunately, was not able to. 
And if you could just summarize that really quick, what would you say that mission statement really is for you now? The mission statement is to uh, help human beings deal with the inevitable consequences of robots. Mm. Mm. Interesting. It's just that simple. <clears throat> the problem, of course, is that human beings have largely forgotten what it means to be human. Oh, yeah. We have a wide range of social sciences today. Mm -hmm. um, uh, I'll start with the, probably the most obvious. Um, the, the ruling view in uh, psychology today, um, where psychology should be the study of the psyche, right? That's what the word means. And psyche is Greek for what we call the soul. But it doesn't study the soul at all. In fact, it denies that there even is a soul. And in fact, what's happened in cognitive psychology is that the human has been patterned on computers. So it was a direct result, actually, of the work done by Norbert Wiener, my father, and others that led in the 1950s to this insane idea that human beings could be modeled by computers and as a result of that, human beings could be programmed. So the human use of human beings is not to try to program us, brainwash us, mind control us, use whatever language you'd like to. Um, one example of this, uh, also at MIT, uh, where uh, both Wiener and my father were at that time, was the hiring of Noam Chomsky. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Chomsky's a very famous fellow, but not for his <laughs> linguistics. <clears throat> um, he became a very famous political fellow, and uh, many people would uh, consider him or count him as the most uh, uh, referenced uh, left-wing uh, author, uh, speaker, and so forth. That was not Noam The only reason why we have that Noam Chomsky is because of a different Noam Chomsky. That different Noam Chomsky promised that he would figure out the programming languages for humans. Mm. And MIT gave him tenure. <laughs> In linguistics, this is called universal grammar. But don't mm -hmm. be fooled by that. This, this isn't an academic pursuit that trying to figure out how language is constructed. This was hardcore. Mm -hmm. This was coming at a time when, after World War II, after uh, the defeat of Hitler and the rest, um, there was an enormous concern about trying to turn human beings into um, obedient, uh, almost uh, uh, slavish uh, sorts of uh, characters. Uh, and this was, uh, this was not an accident. This was really quite deliberate. And so the simple answer to your question asked is that the mission that I am on is to defeat those attempts. To reduce humans uh, to nothing more than uh, programmable uh, or what we might call flesh bots. Yeah, yeah. So this is this. Thank you for that. This is a great segue into the the three spheres, which is the the core of the the, the discussion today. So um, just to give you some context, last 45, 46 episodes that we've run, whilst we've had a fantastic array of excellent minds and speakers who've articulated and eloquently put their position forward. Uh, from social impact to digital to uh, mental resilience and so on and so forth, there is a common thread around what's happened with COVID, 
which has been a transformational event, both from a, a global eco economic situation standpoint, but also uh, the health issues that we've all dealt with. But it's been a seismic, it's forced us to change our behaviors. And we all know this now. So um, one, of, one of the pieces that has come back again and again is this um, you call flesh bots or flesh robots is where we've we've all sort of realized that we have been um, it's like the Groundhog Day uh, syndrome. We we've started to realize we have been machines actually of sorts. You know whether it's in the in the UK, wake up in the morning, do the seven o'clock job, go on the tube or the subway like a robot, buy a coffee from the same place, do the job, come back at six thirty or seven o'clock. I mean that that sort of rat race or um, that sort of pursuit of who knows what material success perhaps and we've we've been evolving very quickly in the last year itself just through these episodes there's been a you know heap of realizations amongst all of us and i think you've touched on a very important point so um as we look at the change and the shift in uh, society and in business and the way we live our lives talk us through i know you i know you have strong views on this talk us through what what is three spheres all about I know it's got East, West and digital, but break each one down, please. And then let's let's hone in onto the digital side if we can. Uh, exactly. Um, so let me uh, let me first uh, try to lay a bit of groundwork here. OK. Mm -hmm. um, for those of you, uh, and, and we'll probably get into this in, in some more detail, uh, who are familiar with Marshall McLuhan, um, uh, media guru from the 1960s, uh, who was revived in the 90s by becoming the patron saint of Wired magazine. Mm. Um, at the many funny stories on how these things happen, how people come in and out of uh, popularity. Um, by the way, in launching EXO, um, this will require me to step back into the limelight. Mm -hmm. um, I have been reluctant to do that. Uh, but I have uh, uh, looked myself in the mirror and gotten some help from some of the uh, folks that I'm working with. And um, uh, for better and probably for worse, um, you're all going to be hearing a lot more about and from me. Um, today is a kind of kickoff uh, mm. of that uh, public campaign. Mm. It, it turns out that one of uh, the more uh, famous, perhaps, of Marshall McLuhan's uh, own protégés was Neil Postman. Mm -hmm. The postman wrote a famous book called uh, Amusing Ourselves to Death. And unfortunately, or uh, maybe this is really the way it should be, most people who do not have responsibility for the world at large um, pretty much ignore it. Mm -hmm. And as a result, uh, they go through their lives, just as you described it, uh, getting on the tube and, and uh, going to the gym or whatever it is. Uh, and pretty much ignoring uh, the rest of what's going on. Um, this is the process that uh, the Gestalt psychologist called figure and ground. Mm -hmm. Figure and ground is a very important um, uh, framework for Marshall McLuhan. Um, the figures, of course, are other bright, shiny uh, objects that distract us, the things that aren't going to really uh, uh, cause us any real concerns, um, although some of them may be uh, quite painful and, and some of them uh, in, in fact, uh, probably attract uh, uh, far too much uh, concern on that behalf. Um, but uh, underneath that is something which is typically invisible, and that's the ground. And so what we are trying to do here, recognizing that under, let's say, normal conditions, um, if pre-COVID was normal, that uh, 
pointing out to people that there is something more fundamental going on than what they tend to think about with the important caveat that you really don't need to pay attention to all these things unless you do have some responsibility. But the sort of people that you're addressing with this uh, uh, webcast, mm -hmm. as uh, Rick announced this, uh, this is an audience of people um, who do have responsibilities and mm -hmm. can make decisions. Mm -hmm. And as it turns out, these are the people who are going to have to deal with Mm -hmm. changes in the ground environment mm -hmm. in which we're living. And, and probably the single most significant change in the ground, which should be evident to everybody. And in fact, COVID was caused by this. And that would be globalism. If we were not globally connected, if there wasn't a steady stream of airplanes flying out of Wuhan airport, into Italy and into France, then uh, COVID would not have been a global problem. So what in fact we have just been taught by COVID is that there's some very serious downsides to globalism. Mm -hmm. I would argue that the ground of globalism, which came out of World War II, um, the so-called world order, um, Henry Kissinger and, and others are very much associated with this, that is now finished, kaput. If we didn't know about it before COVID, now we do. Uh, and we know about the causalities that are involved here. It really doesn't matter if it was a laboratory or, or a wet market. Um, the, what really caused uh, COVID was a bunch of airplanes flying around the world, bringing these uh, viruses uh, to everybody. We need to rethink all of that. And our proposal for how to rethink that is to now divide the world into three spheres. Now, those three spheres, East, West, and Digital, which is the name of this particular uh, conversation, um, it may seem to some, we'll get into Q&A in a little while, what do you mean about Africa? What do you mean about South America? What do you mean about India? Yeah. And the answer to that is, uh, anticipating the question, you're right. There are more things going on, as Shakespeare would put it, uh, than Horatio uh, can comprehend. And uh, in that regard, uh, it is very important to also include Africa, and for that matter, Israel, and, and India, certainly, and Japan, uh, and, and South America as other vectors. But the three primary aggressive uh, vectors in the current circumstance, which is no longer uh, globalism. There is no possibility of global unity. Can, cannot possibly occur. The United Nations, it started in 1947. The goal after World War II, of course, was to bring everybody together. Mm -hmm. Whatever your judgment might be about how poorly or well that was done, it's now finished. Uh, and so let me give you an example. Um, this past week, a quite remarkable event happened in uh, Anchorage, Alaska. This was the, uh, at the insistence of the United States, the first meeting between the Biden administration and, and the senior Chinese uh, at the same level. So this is uh, Secretary of State and Foreign Minister level diplomacy. Anyone who's ever been involved in that sort of a game 
knows that it's a very elaborate uh, diplomatic dance. Um, people are, are photographed uh, toasting each other uh, with champagne. Um, relatively bland statements are exchanged. Uh, and that sort of sets the stage for behind the scenes, um, uh, track two and other sorts of discussions. That is not what happened last week. What happened last week is the Chinese quite deliberately came and told the United States that the world no longer needs them. Just imagine the reaction here. So Secretary of State uh, Blinken is trying to reassert this world order, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. trying to reassert that there are rules and everybody has to obey those rules and you get sanctioned if you don't obey those rules. And the Chinese said, screw you. We don't care about your sanctions. And by the way, <clears throat> neither does anybody else. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Why don't you turn yourself inward and fix your own problems because you've got a giant pile, a, a steaming pile of problems of your own. Uh, we're not going to take your lectures anymore. Mm -hmm. Don't try to explain human rights to us. We know what it means. Mm -hmm. Don't try to explain democracy to us. We know what it means. This is all in the transcript of what wow. was said last week, which wow. is just in and out. So if uh, globalism, putting all the peoples of the earth together in one Gordian knot has been the effort over the course of the past uh, 50, 60 years uh, or longer since World War II, um, that's all over now. And so the ground of everything that we thought we understood, this is enormously important for anybody uh, who has any business activities or, um, <clears throat> or other activities, family activities that, that go beyond uh, the boundaries of the town in which they live. Mm -hmm. as, soon, as soon as you get to the county state level in the United States, uh, enormous amount of geopolitics enters into the picture. It has a huge impact on jobs. It has huge, huge impact on, on politics. Um, and we have to rethink all of that. And so that means that the social scientific field of economics, which has been based since World War II on economic models involving a growth trade-off on a global basis, every single one of those models is wrong. At mm -hmm. the moment, the Defense Department, Commerce Department, OECD, all of these people, IBM, General Motors, all the people who have been writing these economic models should be informed. They have to scrap those models and start over. That's how severe uh, this actually is. Mm -hmm. And so um, uh, in terms of the three spheres, just quickly defining them for you, <clears throat> and then concentrating on, on the one that, that App has asked me to focus on, because that's the that's the real uh, ringer in, in all of this. That this is this is the one that that takes what what previously would have seemed like a competition. Mm -hmm. Previously, it would seem like a, mm -hmm. you know uh, various countries vying for hegemony. Is the like way a, that, like uh, an ar arms race or something like that. Like yeah. an arms race or something. Yeah. If if this was just east and west, then there's a lot of people who could raise their hand and say, "I know how to deal with that." Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, we thought that China was going to, when we let them into the WTO and all the rest of this, we thought they were going to play nice. Mm -hmm. um, 
Uh, clearly, they're not playing nice, but we can still deal with it. Mm-hmm. So West is, um, I will define this in, a, in an unusual way. Um, I look forward to any questions that might uh, arise from this, but the West is effectively all of those cultures based upon the alphabet. Now, Rick is going, hmm. Say more about that. <laughs> that's a little strange. <laughs> well, it turns out, um, uh, and, and every one of us, uh, Athos actually, uh, I hope you don't mind my saying this, Athos just uh, uh, had a, a baby. Athos his wife just had a baby. And, and so Athos now, uh, and he already has a child, uh, but now he's going to go through again, and he's going to relearn all the things that the baby learned. Uh, and... Uh, as we all know, uh, learning your ABCs, as we would, would say it in, in the English language, um, is one of those very fundamental um, stepping stones. Mm-hmm. Um, as it turns out, the whole world doesn't work that way. In, in fact, there are really only two ways with a few modifications of structuring language. Um, as, the, as we make the transition as children at an early age from learning the, the uh, spoken language of our environment to the written language of our environment, that's when we enter into um, modern life. You can't do it if you're illiterate. There are plenty mm-hmm. of people on earth uh, who suffer from illiteracy, so we say. But if you take a look at the ground of literacy, it actually is the technology of the symbols that are used mm-hmm. to represent the language. Mm. And it turns out that the symbols, alphabetic symbols, as we know, are phonetic. They have no meaning. Mm-hmm. So those of us who grew up in an alphabetic or Western sphere, we can rearrange the letters all we want to. We can make up words all we want to. Uh, We've got an OED that, that has so many different definitions uh, over time because they change depending on circumstances. We're very comfortable with that sort of flexibility. It's sort of a managed chaos in, in terms of the symbolism we use. That is <coughs> not the case, particularly in China. Chinese writing system, while it does certainly have phonetic components to it, is at root Logo graphic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Logo meaning meaning. Mm-hmm. And in fact, as you were taught the Chinese characters, the radicals that compose them and, and the modifications and so forth, uh, you find that you are now in a, in a system, now the Eastern system, if you will, which has a very fundamentally different relationship to um, meaning and chaos and, uh, and change um, than an alphabetic world does. So at this level of, descri- of description, different, no doubt, from what you uh, have learned uh, um, in your politics classes or uh, um, reading the New York Times, uh, for instance, is that the West is alphabetic, the East is logographic, and these produce radically different sensibilities. Mm-hmm. Because the human is born very plastic, F has a, a, a little ball of uh, silly putty. 
He's got a, a little ball of bread dough that is going to need to be, I mean, to be sure, um, even a newborn has learned a great deal um, uh, in, in their nine months on earth. And, uh, and, and so you're not dealing with a, with, a, with a nothing, but you're dealing with very much a blank slate. And uh, if, uh, if Af and his wife's uh, child had been born in uh, Wuhan, that child would wind up being a very different child. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's East and West defined in terms of the underlying critical technology that defines civilization. So, so, so in other words, sorry to, sorry to in other words, what you're saying is the the way we think, the way we rationalize, the way we construct, the way we invent, the way we innovate, the way we live our lives is fundamentally different because of the ground of the alphabet. Correct. Um, and, and therefore, you're going to get to why that has an implication on the next piece, I guess. Yes. And just just one one refinement question too is it sounds like when you talk about the East you mostly talk about China do you also lump Japan which is also a symbolic language yes. as well in that same category? Yes, and but as you know, uh, Japan is a little bit more complicated mm. um, because they have in fact adopted other writing forms mm -hmm. um, in addition uh, to their uh, fully uh, mm -hmm. uh, logographic writing mm -hmm. form. Right. And another example here would be Korea, mm -hmm. which quite deliberately, I uh, believe in the 16th century, decided they were no longer going to use mm -hmm. the Chinese approach. And okay. they invented their own alphabet. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then we have India, which mm -hmm. is neither alphabetic right. in, in its original uh, Sanskrit, mm -hmm. nor logographic, mm -hmm. but rather based around syllables. Mm -hmm. So when you get into the linguistics of this, it mm -hmm. is a bit more complicated, but mm -hmm. for the purpose of this conversation, and particularly yep. for the purpose of the most dynamic vectors mm -hmm. amongst the many, for which um, Japan and India uh, absolutely deserve um, their own understanding, mm -hmm. um, uh, independent uh, from China. And in mm -hmm. fact, as uh, Ap and I have discussed, there's a long history of partnership between Japan and India. Mm. That partnership has been revived. There are high level discussions uh, mm. and discussions going back multiple generations uh, between those two countries now. But the reason why that all that is happening is because of the logographic Chinese assertion mm. uh, in this new digital world in which we live. Mm. So now the digital sphere, what is the linguistic structure and therefore the subconscious and ultimately the rational structure of somebody who is part of what we would call the digital sphere. And the answer to that question is code. Mm -hmm. Code is not structured like any human language. Mm -hmm. In fact, it, it is deliberately meant, of course, to be an interface between humans and machines. Mm -hmm. right. So it's something that humans can do, although you've got to go through a lot of training, um, and you don't speak it to other humans. Uh, but this is how you talk to the machine, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And so our definition of the digital sphere at this fundamental level is that these are humans who have opted for a different linguistic structure, one which is logical, one which is mathematical mm -hmm. in its origins, and one which 
really take seriously the disastrous notion that human beings, in particular human brains, function like uh, computers. We don't. Mm-hmm. We're organisms. We're alive. Computers are not. But this leads to all sorts of nonsense, as you can imagine. Probably most popularly, we have various versions of the singularity. Yeah. Right? And so I'm, I'm sure there have been some conversations in the past here about, uh, about the implications <clears throat> of that. Um, nothing like that will ever happen. Um, but people in the digital sphere have convinced themselves, some of whom have picked the date, 2045. There's a whole group of very industrious Russians in particular who have set themselves up around transitioning uh, human consciousness into a machine substrate by 2045. Uh, Ray Kurzweil is is a fascinating character in in all of this. Um, I happen to have had multiple conversations with him Uh, He doesn't actually believe this. What he told me was that he had created a monster. He created an audience of people who expected him to talk that way, who expected him to support the the quite insane idea of exponential growth. Nothing Mm -hmm. like that is possible. Mm -hmm. Um, That was a critical component of how these two curves would intersect, so to speak. So um, Ray Kurzweil, uh, now working at Google, uh, admitted to me that he had gone too far, and like Frankenstein, um, he had uh, he created uh, a monster that had a life of its own. Mm. Uh, singularity is not going to happen, but that doesn't mean that people don't believe it. Mm-hmm. Um, probably the, the the single most in the headlines version of digital sphere today is Elon Musk saying we must become a multi-planetary civilization. That is not going to happen. Human beings do not belong on Mars. Uh, As it has been, I think, recently uh, reported at least, that you cannot grow plants in Martian soil. Hmm. Right. There's Mm -hmm. no oxygen there. Yep. So you're going to have to transport Earth to Mars (laughs) if we're going to establish humans there and it's not going to happen that's a lot of over that's a lot of overhead it's not going to (laughs) happen what's going to happen instead is modified humans Mm, are going to make that trip the usual name for that is cyborg Mm -hmm. and so there's a massive amount of effort here trying to figure out how to modify Hmm. the human genome whoa crispr yeah how to modify uh uh our uh, entire skeletal and the rest of our structures in part to fulfill this desire to leave planet Earth. Wow. And in the process, leave humanity behind. <laughs> there is a huge proportion of today's particularly intellectual, but more importantly, very successful entrepreneurs, that is to say, some but not all, of the richest men on earth have effectively committed themselves to eliminating humanity. Hmm. Of course, the way that is discussed is replacing it with something better. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so in the context of we all want a better world, the conversation about, well, let's build robots that are better than us seems to be uh, somehow uh, morally uh, 
heading in the right direction. I will uh, point your attention actually to a recently published book by a fascinating entrepreneur, uh, Jeff Hawkins is his name. Um, he has uh, uh, devoted his life uh, now to uh, understanding the human brain, in particular the uh, uh, neocortex. Mm. And uh, he is an artificial intelligence uh, researcher also. So his new book on the thousand brains is filled with all sorts of fascinating speculation about where this is all going to take us. That range of options, cloning ourselves, um, uh, going to Mars, um, singularity, these are all the expressions of a sphere which is neither west nor east. This is not an approach which says we need to recover the basis of our own civilization, which is exactly what's going on now in China. Mm -hmm. So for instance, um, App is a, a fellow at the Center for Study of Digital Life, which is how we began this entire exercise. Exogenous Inc. is a new spin-out from the Center, which we are just now beginning to talk about publicly in this conversation today. Uh, another fellow uh, at the Center, uh, was the last dean at the University of Chicago uh, who was uh, uh, teaching uh, great books. Great books was, for many people, thought to be sort of the, th this is the pillar of what Western civilization actually means. Hmm. Uh, not just at Chicago, but at many other places who taught that as a core curriculum, it has been reduced, if not eliminated. But the point I'm reporting to you here is that five, now six years ago, a group of people uh, from China came to the University of Chicago asking this fellow of ours, uh, how do you teach great books? And the reply was, well, what are you gonna use this for? Right? Do you want to teach the great books in China? Oh, no, 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 we don't want to teach the great books in China. We wanna teach our own classics. Mm. Mm -hmm. This is coming from the very highest levels. This is not, um, you know, somebody uh, on vacation who just happened to, to, to stop by. They were on a mission. And in fact, what has happened at the highest levels of Chinese society, in, I mentioned two specific institutions, there's something called the Central Party School, which is at the highest level of the whole academic hierarchy. Um, as the name would indicate, Central Party School means this is really the, this is the Harvard, Yale, and Princeton for the next generation of cadre in mm -hmm. the Communist Party of China. And the Politburo. The Politburo is um, uh, sort of like the, uh, the Senate, uh, I guess, in, in US terms. House of Lords or something. Uh, uh, for the past five years, Chinese classics, including Confucian Analects, including uh, Lotzes, uh, oh, yeah. Tao Te Ching, mm -hmm. including the I Ching mm. itself. Wow. These are all being taught at the highest levels of the Communist Party of China. Wow. This is a retrieval at a civilizational <laughs> level scale, absolutely uh, uh, remarkable. Wow. And, mm -hmm. and so uh, let me just point to a couple of, of intersections between these spheres uh, before we go to Q&A here. So for instance, um, you might have noticed that, that China uh, stopped the financial listing of something called Ant Financial, 
yeah. coming out of Alibaba. <clears throat> and the head of Alibaba, Jack Ma, disappeared from public view for a month or more. That was the Communist Party of China as a human organization saying to the digital sphere in China, no, you don't. You are not going to reorganize our financial system for us. Sorry. Mm. <laughs> Just last week, it's been reported, India passed a law, um, which I haven't actually read, but it's been described to me as saying that anyone who does business in India must now, by Indian law, hand over any information requested for by the Indian government. This is um, uh, uh, Athel Remember, uh, various questions about encryption and, uh, yeah. and Blackberry uh, and politicians in India and so forth. Um, th this has now gone um, all the way. Uh, furthermore, 30 plus Chinese companies, digital companies, were forced out of India. Yeah. So what's happening in both China and India is that they are recognizing there is this new force, there's this new tendency, that, which we're calling digital sphere, that is trying to take over. My last example. Um, last week, a quite remarkable document was published, which will probably not be recognizable um, unless you're sort of in this part of the game. The title was National Security Commission on Artificial Intelligence. Okay, so let's unpack that. National security. Okay, this is pretty serious. It's a commission. Oh, okay, this is actually a lot of people are involved. This isn't just one person's opinion. And artificial intelligence. This, this is the single most important new technology. And so, wow, it would look like the US government has stepped up and finally has a plan. Mm -hmm. You could not be more wrong. Who staffed that commission? Amazon, Google, Oracle, wow. Microsoft. Not a single person involved with this commission was an elected official. Furthermore, the report, which is effectively a coup against the Department of Defense, requesting massive sums of money so the United States can compete against China and artificial intelligence. This is the whole rationale. And you read the introduction to this and it says, China's a threat to our democracy. No, China's not a threat to our democracy. The people who wrote that report are a threat to our democracy. <laughs> in the report, there is, as is boilerplate in these sorts of things, um, a discussion of oversight. The key is, there is no independent oversight of any of this. Mm -hmm. So it's happened in US government circles. What's happened in many of our academic circles. What's happened is, in fact, the digital sphere is, is making itself felt in very forceful ways. And so let me conclude the three spheres part of this discussion by saying, repeating what I said before, if we're dealing with two opponents with a bunch of other odds and ends floating around, yeah. we, can, we can try to sort out how those two interface with each other, deal with each other, and so forth. <laughs> the US and China would, would be the obvious example here. Add a third component to this, which 
has really no interest in sustaining either East or West, right. but rather would prefer to build spaceships to leave planet Earth <laughs> or replace human consciousness with machines mm -hmm. pretending to be human, <clears throat> Blade Runner style. Uh, that is now what the physicists, astrophysicists call a free body problem. Hmm. Now, this is fascinating, and I'm, I'm not going to uh, bore you with the mathematics, which would probably confuse me um, as well as your audience. But the fact is, there is no solution in hmm. astrophysics to hmm. a three body problem involving three gravitational forces. Hmm. Uh, it can only end in disaster spheres crashing into each other, conflicts never heard before. And so ultimately the point of what we're doing at the Center for the Study of Digital Life and its new offspring, Exogenous Inc., is to try to equip people with a understanding of how radically the world has already changed, how we have come into what we're now calling, we have, we've moved into WTF land. The increasing reaction, which we're all going to have, and it will it, it'll come at us faster and faster. So, for instance, what is a non-fungible token? Yeah. <laughs> WTF. Mm -hmm. yeah. What happened at the Capitol on yeah. January 6th? And then afterwards, why is there still razor wire around the U.S. Capitol? Uh, What's happening on Wall Street hmm. with all these short squeezes um, uh, coming from bulletin boards? Um, and my favorite example, actually, is it appears that we have figured out that what we thought we knew about black holes is no longer true. Hmm. <laughs> in, in, in fact, not only do things disappear into black holes, they come out of them. Wow. And, and, they, and they can, in fact, be uh, giant X-ray guns uh, on the rest of the world. So. At, at the most fundamental scientific level, mm -hmm. at the most fundamental uh, social, economic, and political level, we are already living in new structures. Mm. Right. It is enormously important for those who have responsibility, corporate executives, government mm. officials, anyone who actually has to make decisions with consequences, mm. needs to understand that the structure of the world has fundamentally changed and they are going to need to deal with a whole uh, string of outcomes as a result of that. Head in the sand simply mm -hmm. won't work anymore. It mm -hmm. turns out that this category that many people have um, uh, zeroed in on um, because causality has been lost largely in our lives, we wind up with this phenomenon uh, that many people call black swan. Mm -hmm. You may have even had conversations about mm -hmm. black women. It, mm -hmm. is, it is our view at the center, there are no black women. Just people not paying attention. Mm. Mm. <clears throat> Mark, Mark, quick question is, um, how receptive are you finding people so far to your views and the center's views? Um, what are you finding so far with leaders and discussions that you're having? Uh, the simple answer is, um, uh, we'll know a lot more about this in six months. Mm -hmm. Got it. Today mm -hmm. is the, the soft launch of, of okay. Exo. Um, mm -hmm. in, in order to uh, ascertain um, how people are responding to this, um, 
it required a number of things. <laughs> COVID is a critical piece of this. If it had not been exactly as you laid this out in the beginning, if it had, as as laid it out, if it had not been for the fact that we are now looking in the mirror, wondering about the structure of our own lives, uh-huh. our families, um, our relatives, our our uh, our work uh, futures, uh, if that had not happened, accelerating things which were already underway, I don't think we'd be uh, launching Exo at this point. Yeah. My guess would be that the uh, executives were still dragging their feet. Got it. Uh, We did a a significant amount of, uh, if you will, test marketing last fall. And uh, and to be sure, it was uh, Mm self-selected. But we found uniform uh, positive reception. Mm -hmm. So uh, what we are being told, and we'll have to now prove this out, with a for-profit company, um, asking people to pay us uh, significant mm-hmm. sums uh, for our assistance in all of this. Mm-hmm. What I believe has happened here is that the, it has dawned on people at a very uh, wide basis that they're going to have to think differently. Mm-hmm. Remember that Apple uh, ad? Think I differently. do. I do. Yeah. Um, the branding associated with that uh, was. Brilliant, arguably. It was. We're, we're now in a situation where it is no longer uh, applicable to think outside the box. It's no longer applicable to get people together and, and give them pep talks about innovation. Yeah. It's no longer adequate uh, to, uh, to try to emphasize uh, in executive um, training, um, uh, creativity uh, processes. We're now in a situation where we have to remember so it, it turns out that inside our heads, literally inside our heads, um, we have uh, a group of senses that are uh, where our external, our, our, our vision, our, our taste, our touch, our hearing, all of that winds up being uh, brought together in a group of interior senses. Hmm. And it turns out that we have been effectively driven mad by television. Hmm. We've been driven mad by a technological environment that is based on illusion. Hmm. That has now changed. That madness driven by television has been replaced by the, the fantasy world. That fantasy world has already been replaced by a memory-based world mm-hmm. based on digital technology. So. All of these uh, um, uh, what appear to be uh, crazy, uh, inexplicable events, the headline events, the figures Mm -hmm. that we're all um, wrestling with, those have all been caused by a change in the underlying ground. Mm -hmm. The ground of television has shifted dramatically to the ground of digital. Mm -hmm. That is the only way that a digital sphere could have emerged. If, if that transition had not happened, it would not occur. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as a result of all of this, we are now being driven into a, a much greater need for history, a much greater need for a human scale, a much greater need for a completely revamped social sciences that discards totally that computer metaphor. Mm-hmm. 
and actually return uh, to a much earlier view of this. So we have a motto at the uh, center. Digital retrieves the medieval. Hmm. Interesting. It it turns out that the last time the world was uh, freed in a significant sense from this these technologies impinging upon us and forcing us really uh, to change our sensibilities, we have to go before the printing press to accomplish that. And that's what we've done in psychology. We have retrieved faculty psychology, which is the medieval view. We're now in the process of retrieving uh, a very different understanding of economics. Uh, And so uh, to wrap this up, um, noticing the hour here, we have uh, put in place a uh, organizing effort, a juggernaut actually of a sort that is unstoppable. Because we are not dependent upon Harvard, because we are not dependent upon uh, uh, government grants, Mm -hmm. because we're entirely privately financed, uh, because we're not looking for approval, we're outsiders, Uh, We have the opportunity now, I hope, to fulfill at least aspects of the assignment my father gave me when I was uh, 16, uh, back in 1964. Uh, Or at least that's what uh, motivates me every day. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mark, there are so many many strands and so many questions I'm sure we all have. Uh, I've been privileged to be exposed to some of this, so... For me, it's um, a, a practice session once again and processing some of what you've just said. Uh, we'd love to get you back on the show at some point to really um, unpack a lot of this in much more detail because it's it's an hour is not really justified, to be quite honest. Um, and exogenous and exo and what you're doing there, I think, is essential for um, survival, uh, let alone us thriving in the future for survival. Because a lot of the concepts of East-West Digital, whilst they're understood at a superficial level by people reading The Economist or whatever it may be, or the FT or the Wall Street Journal, we just haven't had the mind space to come out of what you described as being yesterday. And so we've just about realized that we have an awakening or we've sort of been enlightened again. But it's going to take some time for us to go back into gear to be able to clear out the noise uh, be the television, the traditional one, or the social media television that we're all addicted to and buried in. So a couple of things have come up very quickly. Um, uh, Rich, you want to take one of the questions and I'll take the other one? Sure. Um, we just have time. Could you just, is it okay if we go a little bit over here, Mark, on your time? Uh, my time is yours. Whatever okay. We have a few. We'll go. We'll do this the extended hour. Actually, <laughs> extended, extended in five minutes. Yeah. Um, so one question for you is... Um, is China right? Does the world no longer need or care about the U.S.? Is it is the U.S. irrelevant in today's world? Uh, the uh, the simple answer is based on the old world that we have already exited. Um, the world does not need the United States, but we no longer live in that world. Mm-hmm. Right. So what the Chinese were really saying, of course, was we don't need to be lectured by you. Right. They'll fix your own problem. Yeah, fair and enough. In that they were they were also precisely correct. Mm-hmm. Uh, Henry Kissinger, by the way, in his last book entitled "The World Order," if you go to the the second to last chapter, 
you'll see Henry Kissinger throwing his hands up. He's done this in, in public meetings, is all I'm saying. I have no idea what's going on now. I got Eric Schmidt advising me. By the way, he's the guy mm -hmm. behind that, that uh, coup against mm -hmm. the Department of Defense. So uh -huh. I have a digital sphere guy uh -huh. advising me, says Henry mm -hmm. Kissinger. But otherwise, I don't know what's going on here. Uh, Kissinger, of course, gets credit for having opened up China. So in its current shape, without anybody taking responsibility, China is exactly right. The world does not need the United States. Mm -hmm. Got it. <clears throat> that sort of answers the next question, which is uh, which is quite detailed, but in effect, I think Vilip, who's one of the um, um, audience members, basically outlined what you said, which is we America took China, un underestimated the power that China has in the 80s and 90s, used them as a low cost center to produce stuff. And now China, after last week's announcement or this week's announcement, is essentially saying, well, up yours. Um, and um, go sort your own issues out. And what this gentleman is saying, Dilip is asking, is what are your thoughts and learnings on this? I think you've sort of articulated that and you've summed it up um, quite nicely. I, I think we'll, we'll sorry, go on. I got one burning question yeah, is yeah. Um, one of the things that we're starving for on this world, in our world stage right now, is quality of information. Yeah. And you seem to have a lot of quality of information at your fingertips. Could you just give some resources that you respect to our audience? so that they can also be more informed and on, on top of whether it's geopolitics or technology or all the things that you're plugged into, what are some publications or things that you respect? Outlets? Well, I, I think the most straightforward answer to what you've just said is that we have to publish our own newsletter. Mm -hmm. um, and and uh, we have to become a source mm -hmm. of right. that information. So that's answer number one. Mm -hmm. Answer number two, you may find uh, ironic. Um, one of my most important news sources is Facebook. Is what now? Facebook. Oh, Facebook. Mm -hmm. So I have a hundred friends mm -hmm, right. of whom probably on any given day, a hundred or uh, I'm sorry, a thousand friends on Facebook of which maybe a hundred or 200 on an even, any given point are posting things. Okay. There's no way that I could possibly read all of that. Right. So collect 500 right wing, 500 left wing people <laughs> who are doing a lot of reading mm -hmm. and see what comes out of the bottom of it. Mm hmm. Um, the third answer to your question is we really need a new um, uh, educational system. Mm -hmm. And as a result of that, and I've neglected to mention until this point in answering your question, in addition to starting exogenous things, mm. the center is beginning a university program. Mm. It's called Trivium mm. University. Mm. Um, it will uh, be intertwined with the rest of what we're doing. But we're, we're, we need, in addition to information, which is a very curious word, um, uh, as you know, information is just the word form with a prefix and a suffix. <laughs> but what happens when you add prefixes and suffixes, you bury the root word. Mm. So I would answer your question, the most important thing that needs to be done now is for people to get an education on form. Mm. Right. Mm -hmm. Because without an understanding of forms, mm -hmm. they will be misled inevitably by information. That's, yeah, that's, I love, I love how your responses come at a different angle than I'm expecting, but I love where it, <laughs> I love where it lands. So 
Mark, uh, thank you so much. I mean, it's clear that we need a whole nother hour to dive deeper into some of these themes and maybe we'll get a chance to do that in the near future. Um, thank you again for this inspiring conversation. You're having me think about the three spheres in a way I never thought about before. Um, and it's going to contribute a lot to, I know our audience, and I'm sure it's stimulating a lot of people, a lot of you out there right now. Right. So Aph, any final words you want to say before we, no, no, I, I just, I just want to thank you. Um, um, I know you were handing it off to Aph, but, uh, I just want to thank you for introducing me to this audience. Mm. And, uh, uh, the last year of exchanges with Aph, uh, have been delightful. Mm. Uh, and uh, I'm looking forward uh, to, if you will, uh, bring all this stuff uh, out of the garage and yes, uh, and uh, uh, street testing it uh, on the track. That's where we're headed. And Mark, where can people find out more about you and your work? Where should they go? Uh, the Center for the Study of Digital Life is located at digitallife.center. Um, two L's, digital and life, mm -hmm. um, and uh, Exogenous Inc. is located at exogenousinc.com. There you go, people. Go after okay. it. <laughs> and what we're going to do is, I, I'm not going to, uh, you know, you've, you've, you've summed it up beautifully, Rick. Uh, we do have a speaker page uh, that our audience is familiar with, and I think in the next couple of days we'll update, um, uh, once again, Mark's details there, the, the website's to go to and so on and so forth. And we also have, Mark, if you're up for it, we have a WhatsApp sort of private community with a lot of our past speakers and some of our mavericks. So if you're, if you're willing to be part of that, we'd love to invite you to that, to, to dig deeper into some of this stuff because that's how we're gonna create a, you know, a movement or, or change in society and business. So uh, excellent to have you. Thank you so much. A delightful session again, and uh, always a pleasure learning from you. Thank you, Mark. Thank you all Thank very you. much. Thank you very much, Mark. And just for those of you tuning in next week, we're going to have one of our favorites, uh, Charles Eisenstein, who's been on our show before, uh, one of the most brilliant thinkers of our times as well. And he'll be talking about beyond the numbers, corporate, climate, and compassion. This is going to be a very interesting conversation next week. So stay tuned. And thank you again, Mark. Over and out, all straight talkers. Go out there and influence. Mm -hmm.